Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. Joining me today, Chris Snee. Chris, did you miss me? Did you miss us? Did you miss this? Of course I did. Come on. Don't be foolish. I don't know if you guys... Well, I, I do know you guys can't see, but he's rolling his eyes. I didn't roll my eyes. I don't roll my Emotionally, eyes. you rolled your eyes. That might be true. <laughs> so anyways, guys, welcome to the podcast. Uh, please, as a reminder, uh, five-star reviews. I almost said four-star reviews. I'm struggling today, dealing with the cold, but five-star reviews on iTunes. If you enjoy the show, if not, just don't give us negative reviews. It hurts my feelings. But uh, but we got a good deal of recruiting stuff to go over today, and and the last few episodes have been me and Josh, or Josh and I, and so today we're going to have Chris kind of uh, wax poetic here and let him talk about his his vision of the program, and, and more importantly, where things are going right now with, with recruiting. So uh, I'll kick it off to you, Chris. Right now, recruiting, not a whole lot going on this upcoming weekend. It looks like they're saving all their bullets for the January 25th date. Uh, that strategy is something that the staff has seemingly uh, done previously and, and, and has had success with. Yeah, this is essentially the fourth time we've seen them build up a individual weekend during a period of a lot of visits. The first time, obviously, was early signing period before the first early signing period for them when Woodby and that group came in. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of success with that. Also got a lot of really high-end kids in on that. Then Saturday Night Live, you know, kids are visiting everywhere all summer. As you kind of stockpiled everything to the end of July, and they pulled it off. Then we saw it again this past December, last month, before this early signing period, and they went 14 for 14. Now we're seeing it again, December, or January 25th. Right now, it looks like they have about a dozen vis- visitors on the agenda. I expect that number to be anywhere from about 10 to 12 when it settles down. And that's pretty much going to be the weekend where we're going to figure out if they make or break this class with finishing it off. And one thing before we move on, because we haven't touched on it a lot in the podcast since it's been official, and that's Akeem Dent signing with, with Florida State. Yep. Um, Which is a huge win, yeah. more than any, because you don't have to keep recruiting him for another month. You don't have to fend mm-hmm. off the Bamas, the Clemsons, and those types, or anybody that just lost a really good defensive back to the NFL unexpectedly, who all of a sudden wants the best defensive back, arguably, in the nation. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to deal with that. So it's a big win. And I, yeah, I presume it was a kid wanted it quiet. I don't truthfully understand why FSU sat on the letter of intent. Yeah. I understand in moments when those things that had come about with uh, online classes coming back. So there was somewhat of a wait and see with that. But with the signing, I don't know why you don't give yourself that juice on National Signing Day. Especially when you're a program that, that's in need of some momentum on the yeah. recruiting trail right now and some good news. Wins are good. Yeah. Uh, and then it kind of gets buried, I, I felt like. I felt like that news wasn't really... Yeah. I mean, it was well-received the moment it came out, especially by the fan but, base. Yeah, in, in the vacuum. Um, but I'm saying nationally. But yeah, it's different. I think, it changes, I think it changes the narrative of the early signing period. FSU lost Sam Howell at the early signing period. If you ask the national perspective on FSU's early signing period takeaways, the first comment by most people outside of the FSU fan base is going to be, well, they needed a quarterback. They had a really good one, and they lost him to UNC, who's an even crappier program than FSU was last year. Mm-hmm. That's the national narrative. Yeah. Whether we like it or not, that's the first thing that most people are going to relate to. It's certainly the first thing that most national types wrote about. Mm-hmm. So I think it changes that to some degree of, yeah, they had a loss, but they also had a big win there, and they have 19 total signings. Mm-hmm. So they still did a fairly good job instead of they lost a crucial piece of their class then and there to a program that's pretty lowly with a geriatric as a head coach. <laughs> and, and those are optics, and optics are obviously important to, you know, the, the way you're, you're viewed and judged matters. And that, PR and matters. That, yeah. Narratives matter. FSU needs to do a better job of spinning wins. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Um, but let's for, for the positive of that, one credit to the staff for 
keeping someone who a lot of schools were interested in, someone who, who we were, uh, admittedly, I was, I don't want to speak for you, I was skeptical whether they were going to be able to hold on to him because every time we talked to him, whether it be the summer or even after, what was it, after uh, the official visit, he's like, it, you know, my recruitment's like the ocean, and he kind of does the wave the wave motion. I was like, it didn't even really make sense, but I was like, oh, what, what? It, it kind of fed into the this notion that, that Akeem's Florida, kind of a wild card. Yeah, and, and South Florida kids can be kind of, you know, who the hell knows sometimes. You never sometimes. know, um, but, but you um, get them, and then, dude, you get them on campus early, and he's someone who's going to compete for playing time, either at corner or safety, and some kind of sub-packages, maybe even put himself in a position to start as a freshman. He's their best recruit in the class ranking-wise, and, and you get him here. That, that's huge. Yeah, and the the opposite of that is Nick Cross, who doesn't sign early because he can't enroll early because high school he's at. And now he's going to visit Penn State and finish as a runner-up to FSU back in September when he decided. Mm-hmm. And I'm not convinced he flips. In fact, I think he sticks. But it's concerning that he's visiting Penn State. I believe it's the weekend before National Signing Day. And that's the school that his father prefers. And his father's always been the biggest, I don't want to say enemy, but the biggest obstacle to FSU Mm-hmm. being completely done in this recruitment process with Nick Cross. Yeah, I mean, his initial commitment seemed to drag on for an extra month or so. And that was largely because of the father, yeah. yeah. Um, I love you so much. We just finished each other's sentences and have the yeah. same cadences, and we spend too much time together. Um, with, with that in mind, though, you know, you want to... I feel like I've been fairly critical of of some of the stuff we've seen on the recruiting trail in the past month or so. And a lot of that to me has trickled from what we saw in the season and just over you know, lack of organization. Uh, but, but one thing I think that you have to give Willie Taggart and, and the staff credit for up to this point, and we have to see obviously how it plays out this recruiting cycle is that they've finished strong uh, on the recruiting trail. In general, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to, the, with, with we, the evidence we, that we've seen so far, they deserve the benefit of the doubt there. Right, going four, four, 14 for 14 that weekend before signing yeah. day matters. They've done a good job of identifying guys that they truly can acquire, that they want, and that they can get in here. And they do a fairly good job once they get them in here of closing them down. They're batting about 50% right now on guys that took official visits ending up being part of their class. That sounds like a bad number, but I think you can attribute a healthy portion to that. There's always going to be some official visitors that those dudes aren't coming to your school. Mm-hmm. They're just taking the fun for your trip. I mean, the two LSU commitments, Ty Davis and a big boy, uh, Cardell. Yeah. Cardell Thomas, Thomas are examples of that. Stewart, if FSU was, you know, 13 and zero and in the playoffs and maybe Cardell Thomas comes to FSU, but when you're five and seven, he ain't going there over LSU, which is in his backyard. So there's those types that you just attribute it to what it is. And then there's others that they brought in that they probably would have got if they had a season of progress or a season that Will, showed positive Will Putnam. Will Putnam's one of those. I would put Thibodeau in that category as someone of that sort. So, that, you know, there's those few. So when you say 50%, it sounds like a low number. In reality, there's probably 20 25% of the um, other 50% total. You know, a quarter of the guys that you brought in that you weren't ever going to get. And then the other quarter are guys that probably are more in the game if you have a better season than they had. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, is fully in their control, but it is what it is. got to accept some things. Now, what they bring in in January, I think their goal is to hit at a very high rate of those. Now, you know, I'm talking about 10, maybe 12 visitors. Uh, I think by the end of the process, they'll have at least 12 more official visitors because I think Plumlee is supposed to come in February 2nd weekend. Mm-hmm. And I would expect maybe one or two others that weekend beyond the January 25th weekend. So over those two weekends, you probably have anywhere from 10 to 15 total officials is what we're looking at today. 
So, you know, Baker's dozen or so if we average that out, you know, and they're looking to hit on at least 50% of those. And they already have a few commitments in there. That includes Quayshon Fuller, Travis J, Brendan Gant, Kevon Glenn. So that's four of the, we're using the average of Baker's dozen. So out of the nine not FSU commitments they're planning to bring in, their goal is to land five to six of those. Mm-hmm. So they are obviously looking for a high hit rate. Do you like the strategy of of kind of backloading it to create yeah. this big environment? It, it, again, it's, to it's this, worked so to far. To this point, it has worked. Therefore, I must like it. <laughs> I, I'm, I, it's a gamble. I'm a fan of playing the results. We talked about in the summer that it was a gamble, that you're, you're putting all your chips on the table for that one weekend or that one date. And there's these other schools vying to get the kids in for the same weekend, same date. So mm-hmm. you got to win that. But if you get them on there, then it matters. And that's what we saw with Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. They hit at a very high rate of getting the kids there that they said they wanted to get there. So for now, yeah, I'm not going to criticize that. There's plenty to criticize, and I don't think that's one of those things. All right. So you mentioned a minute ago uh, Plumley. That's John Rise Plumley, quarterback mm-hmm. from from Mississippi, who uh, is going to have an interesting recruitment down the stretch. It looks like he's visiting. He's taking all his officials. Yeah, he's also a Georgia commitment who they're trying to blue shirt, which has opened the door for him to go elsewhere. He's also a very talented baseball kid who very likely could play both in college. And if you look at some of the schools he's looking at, you got Mississippi State that has, Mm -hmm. you know, great baseball facilities, a very stored, good program, very highly thought of program. Old Miss, who's consistently a solid program in the SEC for baseball. FSU, obviously, tons of baseball history. Georgia, not as much baseball history, but that's kind of the program that had him first, mm-hmm. and we'll see how that all plays out. So, yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces with his recruitment. So, And Miami's in there, too. Miami's trying to yank him, and obviously Miami's baseball, well, it hasn't been very good the last couple years, has a hell of a lot of history in the last 25 years. <laughs> you had to get that in there that they haven't been good in the last They years. haven't been very good the last couple let, years. Morris's last years, they were not anything to write home about. Let, let's take a step back and look at the quarterback recruiting in general. Uh, for you, those of you who listen to the podcast you know, regularly, you know that Josh and I have talked about it the last couple episodes, but Chris hasn't been here, so we're going to reset it to what we know right now, and things have changed since even the last episode. So, uh, you know, r- right now Florida State, I'm, I'm trying to think of the way to phrase this correctly. They're, they were looking and exploring transfer options of someone who could come in and compete for the starting job right away and fit what they want in a dual-threat quarterback, a true runner and thrower. Uh, Jalen Hurts, after you missed on Justin Fields, which, again, that was a long shot. And I Hurts think we, was, in my opinion, always option A for them. If they could have their pick of any guy who was going to hit the transfer market, I believe Jalen Hurts was one they most wanted. I think they would have gone with Fields. but Well, the, I think Fields' talent is immense, yeah. but Fields not necessarily a first-year guy because of the whole waiver claim. Mm-hmm. You don't know if that's going to happen. Plus, with Fields, he's less of a grizzled college veteran. Yeah, Hurts, you Hurts is ready made to plug and play. Yeah, while Fields is immensely talented and going to be an exceptional player for the Buckeyes, maybe even next year. You don't have the whole. There's still a grooming factor there with him. I think there was this point where they were thinking, oh, maybe we get both. Maybe Hurts one year and then and then Fields. You, know, you put a lot. You put a lot of things on your Christmas list. It doesn't mean Santa's bringing them all. <laughs> But, but anyway, so Hurts, I agree in, in terms of uh, – it's been interesting to see some of the fan base kind of 
skeptical of what Hurts would have been able to bring or could bring to a program like Florida State because he's not a great passer. But, but, but you know a, exactly what he is, and he knows exactly, exactly. what he is. Exactly, and there's something valuable to that, especially when that fits with Plus what you want to do. Plus he's a damn good leader, which is something they desperately need. And that's, I think, what would have been exciting. I'm talking about in past tense, and it's not done yet, but it seems more yeah, than likely he, like that's not happening. It's that that, that kid's going to Maryland or Oklahoma yeah, from all accounts. That's, from what, everything that's I what the reports are. I think Mike Loxley might be able to cut a piece of cake today. It wouldn't shock me if that goes down. Obviously, we saw Tate Martell come off the market last night. Truthfully, I don't know if FSU was truly interested. In Josh, had, Josh had mentioned that they were, but I hadn't really heard that a whole lot. And I don't. I, I'm of the personal opinion that Tate Martell is not the guy. And while he would improve the talent of that room, he's not the guy you're looking for I, to I, reshape I your program. I agree. And you have you already have Jordan Travis, and not comparing them physically because Martell's a more highly rated prospect. But you already have the guy who's sitting there and waiting that yeah. you're going to add to the mix. In a year or two to compete, you when, need someone who can come in and play. When Bush is going to UCF, and no offense to your Golden Knights, but I'm, Knights, not I'm not enamored by Brandon Wimbush. I don't think he's no. special. Again, would he help FSU? Certainly, but I don't think he's a dude. Hurts to me was always option one A, mm-hmm. and I don't disagree with you on Fields being right up there because he is so immensely talented. You're not going to find many people that like Justin Fields from a talent standpoint better than I do Mm -hmm. after watching him at the opening two summers ago and watching a few of his high school games in person. But at the end of the day, I think the guy that would have helped FSU the most in every form and factor day one next year would have been Jalen Hurts. And that just – there wasn't even any movement there of significance. No, uh, to Tarnas, we'd heard rumors that he was coming to visit. I don't know if he ever did and never got uh, any yeah. confirmation of it. Um, to my knowledge, he went to Maryland, saw the basketball game, left there, went to OU, left there, went to Miami, and I'm not sure where he's gone since Miami. So in terms of you know, transfer options, I mean, I've done the transfer market story once a maybe week and a half or so yeah. for the last – Yeah, I've done it three Every times. Every 10 to 14 days or Just so. Just to kind of show what's out there. And there's some decent quarterbacks out there, but at this point, I don't know if there's anyone that you – Yo, Josh and I've talked about this. Is, is you add a quarterback of that caliber, at least a plug and play kind of guy, then you all of a sudden start running the risk of, you know, does James Blackman say, "Well, do I want to do I want to be here?" Because the writing's on the wall. If yeah. you're going and bringing that guy in, does DeAndre Francois stick around past the spring semester? You start adding extra variables to the equation that that you can't necessarily predict what will happen. It's um, too. This defines worth it at this point. This defines FSU over the last thirteen months. End of November, we're working with the theory, and it's not really a theory. It's what we were told by the coaching staff, that they are recruiting high school quarterbacks, want a grad transfer, and are working with the assumption that they have one quarterback in their room going forward, Mm -hmm. which we all presume is James Blackman. And that presumption was based on the fact that we expected a grad transfer NFL declaration from DeAndre Francois. Well, fast forward to January, Francois doesn't graduate, NFL doesn't want him. So now he's back at FSU. Who knows if he ever takes a snap here or if he's even here when the spring wraps up. I'm not convinced of that, but I'm not really in the mood to get into it either. I just don't believe that he is their guy, even though he wants to act like he might be their guy. He's not. But we've not seen anything from them that says they're ready to move on. They haven't been steadfast enough to say we're moving on. Yeah. There hasn't been a declaration or a decisive manner exhibited by Florida State, the coaching staff, and people that operate that football program that they are moving from moving on from DeAndre Francois. They've always shown much more faith in him than they ever have with James Blackman. Mm-hmm. Blackman shows a more faithful player. So then you go on, you add Jordan Travis, you know, talented kid, very good locker room kid, you know, uh, just an all around good person, good family. 
Um, and I'm basing a lot of that on knowing his brother Devin okay. to some degree. But from what I understand, Jordan is cut from the same cloth. And you add him, but he can't play next year barring a waiver, which I don't think either of us really expect that to happen. No. But you never know with the NCAA. And he's moving closer to home, which is the one. Right, right. And he's yeah. leaving a program that obviously had some toxicity within the coaching staff. Sure. Um, but I just don't know if it's grounds enough. Probably you, not. You, you open yourself up to a lot if you start declaring waivers for something that seems sort of minimal compared to some of the other outstanding circumstances. Mm-hmm. So you add him. You wanted to play the transfer market, and it looks like you're going to go oh for there, settle with your second transfer option. Mm-hmm. You're not getting the guy that you wanted to get, basically. So you're currently working with three quarterbacks in your room, one who's probably going to leave. I don't know which one at this point, but I expect one to leave. <laughs> I still think Francois is a more likely option, but hey, I've been expecting him to leave for months. Um, and then you've got to go to the high school ranks and you're trying to get Lance Legendre, or as I like to call him, Lance Legendary, <laughs> and John Rice Plumley. <laughs> Plumley's kind of a wild card. There's a lot of moving parts in that recruitment. It's tough to really say, oh, this school definitely makes the most sense for him. Nor has he kind of tipped his hand. He's He could end up at Georgia for all I know. It wouldn't surprise me. He's very open to pretty much every option on the table. Mm-hmm. I think the kid truly wants to make the best decision for himself based off of his options. So visits matter. And with Lance, it's very much an FSU-Tennessee battle right now, as I understand it. And I think FSU is in the best position there. Lance doesn't talk a whole lot. He'll respond here and there, but he doesn't say a lot. But I believe FSU is in the best spot. So let's work with the FSU wins out and gets Lance. Mm-hmm. So you got Lance, you got Jordan Travis, you've got Francois who may transfer out, you got Blackman who at this point I think we're sticking with, and uh, potential of another grad transfer, but nobody that sets our world on fire. Mm-hmm. Did you really do anything to upgrade that quarterback room this offseason? In my opinion, the answer is no. So not well, not to upgrade it for twenty nineteen season. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, for the short term of trying to keep your job, I don't think they did a whole lot. I, I think their opportunity to to really improve things at that position for the upcoming season would have been to play James Black and more down the stretch and say, yeah. you know, redshirt be damned and. We heard a lot of reasons why internally why they were doing that, but it was so many different reasons. I don't know what the actual. It's just one of those things that you. They last year went into the Andre Francois, and they were not decisive with any other move at that position. That's what I know. Yeah, um, and I think getting more time to see what you had in him with James because he played really well in the one game you had him, in, and I think he was a better fit. I know he's a better fit in their offense, what they want to do, and they're going to be running a very similar offense with Kendall Bryles. It's it's. Almost and identical. Browse is a wild card in all of this because yeah. he can he can kind of put his fingerprints upon it and you see if it's different or if you know, some guys hear different people different ways, mm-hmm. see if he has a breakthrough with somebody within that room where it really makes a huge difference. I just I, I it's always been quarterback, O line, linebacker, the most crucial positions of this offseason for Florida State mm-hmm. football. And linebacker, they got three good early signings. They're trying to add one more kid there. O-line, it's been a mixed bag and truthfully very underwhelming in my world. Right now you have and three that you don't know are gonna, if they're going to be able to. Yeah, you got one really, really good interior guy in Dante Lucas. Mm-hmm. You got Jay Williams, who's going to be a, if at best, probably give you six good games in his career here. Because if he's really good year one, he's probably not hanging around year two. And if he's what I think he is, it's going to take him some time to become a well-developed college football player at that position. He's a raw junior. Yeah, very much so. And then you got a developmental kid in Maurice, um, who I think will be a very good one. He's just not probably helping you next Mm -hmm. year. Um, And quarterback, 
I just don't feel like they've gotten better, and I don't feel like the options really exist for them to get drastically better in the short term. No, it's a, it's a tough. It was a, we knew it was the twenty nineteen class was going to be tough, anyways. Um, but you thought Sam Howell had the chance to kind of be a, yeah. a game changer, uh, if not an elite talent, at least a really good one. Um, I felt like fitting in a lot of what they want to do. I, to me, Howell's a stability guy. He, yeah. you knew what you were getting with him within your system. And I think it would have helped. I don't know that he'll be a superstar in college. Mm-hmm. I'm saying of the you know top five upper tier quarterback type. I don't know if he's that guy. But there's a good baseline. But in this class, which is a fairly crappy quarterback class, you know, yeah. he he's in that top four or five. There's him, Bo Nix, Ryan Holinsky, Spencer Rattler. You know, I'm probably forgetting one or two other guys that probably should be mentioned in that category. It's just not a very deep year. And none of those guys are available to you now. No. And they could have, you know, and, and that is something that if they had moved on from Hal or started to not worry about his feelings much earlier, you're not in this position where you could have gone after uh, to where you're not hoping that the two official visits that you have left are your last chance to add quarterback depth. Who is the kid that committed to Clemson? Tyson, Tyson Fumacha. Fumacha. Fum. I'm happy he didn't commit to Florida State. But he was close to it. At one point. Yeah, he had a great visit here, enjoyed himself immensely. We they were heard very that much he in wanted that. to, yeah. and they only wanted to take one. And if you remember, those dominoes dropped in almost consecutive days. Uh, I think they could have had both, but then if you took Tyson, that may have impacted Sam Howell, and, and here we are. Yeah, and you know that's kind of the game of recruiting. There's calculated risks that you take and stuff, but it, again, it was the timeline of of how long it took them to respond after realizing that the how commitment wasn't stable. I mean, that was months in the making. Yeah, and you also need to establish relationships with people better to understand when you can read that they're being liars. Mm -hmm. And that happened in that situation. I don't think beyond Walt Bell, anybody in that relationship understood that there was lying coming from the other side. Yeah, it became clear to us in November that Walt Bell was the only one talking consistently to the Howe family. And to me, that was strange because they usually have two guys on a recruit. But they had such um, a long-term established relationship dating back yeah. to those Maryland days. So it also, you, you could get it. Sometimes there's just kids that are so connected to one dude that you understand it. Like, that is his guy. Yeah, but, but you would think the head coach who, who played quarterback and has right. coached quarterbacks would have somewhat more of a, of a relationship at that stage, months and months into the being committed. Especially when the season's going poorly and you and your OC aren't exactly, yeah. you know, jiving together very well. Yeah. Um, if you want to keep that guy, you either got to make the t- problem here is a decision you need to make. Was how the guy they want to keep? If the answer is yes, they should have, you know, and this is all obviously able to look back upon. It's much easier. Right. Sure. You're not in the moment, but, you, you should have worked very hard in the back half of your season to build that bond with that kid. Mm-hmm. And in the minute that he stepped on campus in Chapel Hill, certainly. Yeah. Because that opens the door. It's clear as day that it's the local school that has a shop. And, and I do think they worked on it. I think it was just too late. Yeah, three, four weeks yeah. before the flip happened. Yeah. I'm talking more mid-October probably mm-hmm. would have been a good starting point. Mm-hmm. Or you decide that ain't our guy, and you go get somebody else. And they didn't do a good job of that either. Yeah. Because by the time they realized they were left holding it in their hand, they the options weren't there, and the early signing period was upon us. Well, Legendry's a guy they've been keeping warm. I yeah. like him. Uh, Some academic concerns. Tools. I think that's I think somewhat that's, founded. Yeah. I don't think he's so far gone that it ain't happening type of thing, but he does have work to do. 
And then Plumley, I like a lot, but that's a wild card with all the visits he's taken. His arm's mediocre to me, but his yeah. athletic ability is off the charts. You know who he reminds me of is the is Mackenzie Milton, similar okay. build. Yeah. Um, and Milton doesn't have a great arm, but he puts it in the right place. Yeah. He knows and, he, and he's able to manipulate angles and stuff. And I, and I think that's what Plumley does. And he's a better athlete than Milton, um, and in terms of his ability to run around, he's an, he's an awesome athlete. He returns kicks, and uh, he's real good. Uh, I I would be excited to see what he could be in this offense in a couple of years. But yeah, uh, right now, based on the intel we have, there's not a whole lot of other options. That's kind of the board at this point. So let's talk a little bit about the running back market. Uh, Amir Rasul puts his name in the transfer portal at, at this point, based on the offers. FSU has made, and I'll kick that to you, Chris. But but based on what we've seen, FSU kind of do once the name was in the in the portal. Uh, it looks like they're ready to move on from him and and kind of try to reestablish their depth at a position that that was really 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 deep and strong. But obviously, injury to LeBorn and now Rasul transferring. You know, you got to add another name or two there. Yeah, I was told by somebody within FSU that basically now, if you're putting your name in the transfer portal, that you know they're viewing you as departing the program. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not here to re-recruit you. You're saying this time of the year that you're doing, yeah, you're doing that, it now? they're just kind of tired of dealing with that whole thing. And that that's a new space with it being so public this year. Obviously, they got Xavier Peters back, and that one's probably pretty important. Definitely a guy. But I think with Razul, there's not a whole lot of combating it. They're not trying to keep him. If he wants to stay, I'm sure they would allow him back. Mm-hmm. But they're not expanding, expounding a whole lot of energy. Um, so, yeah, that has resulted in new running backs offers. Darwin Barlow is a kid that committed to TCU from Texas. They offered him recently. They're going by to see him. Uh, Alante, um, Alante, I want to say well, Brown. Yeah, Alante Brown, sorry. Michigan State commitment. He's more of an athlete from the Chicago area. They're going by to see him this week. And then Micah Kelly's another kid to know. He's not currently committed anywhere. He's actually kind of an under-the-radar kid from Mississippi. The in-state schools are after him in Mississippi, but FSU is also kicking the tires on him. So we've seen some movement there with them pursuing guys. Barlow's been tough to get a hold of. I know he's supposed to be at TCU the weekend of the 25th, so I'm not expecting him in, at FSU that weekend. Alante, I talked to a little bit last night. FSU was doing today. I was supposed to follow up with him today. And Micah Kelly's a guy that I think if they threw an offer his way, would certainly be interested. But he's kind of the one you keep warm to see if you – go to the back burner to get a guy. That's a position where they really had no interest in adding somebody in this class unless it was an elite talent, a Trey Sanders type, Mm -hmm. for a long time. So they don't have a whole lot of inroads with a lot of kids now because it just isn't a position they worked hard at for many, many months. And at the end of the day, do they really have to have a running back? No, but that's a position where depth can go away really fast. Yeah, that's... So you kind of never want to put yourself in a pickle if you can add talent. So Josh and I talked about was Cam Akers obviously know what you're getting, uh, but LeBorn's coming off of a pretty serious knee injury, so that's a wild card. You have Anthony Grant, and then... Yeah, it goes away. And then that's it. Pretty quick, yeah. and then you maybe would be able to supplement it with like Deontay Sheffield or kind of those, you know, uh, Keyshawn Helton kind of gadget slot guys. But anyways, yeah, I think you need a running back now. Uh, one offer that went out this week that I know our message board was really excited over that you personally were really excited over, and that was a three-star linebacker from Virginia who's massively underrated at this point, and that's Eugene Asante. Um, yeah, dude's, a, dude's a badass. I feel like people are going to be, oh, they're trying to sell us a three-star. Nah, his film is not three-star film. That kid... Linebackers are created in this world to end football plays, and they're supposed to do it violently. And you know what he does? He ends football players. And, and while well, he ends football players and football plays, and he does so violently, he can cover a lot of field. He's a sideline-to-sideline guy. 
I wouldn't call him stiff, stiff by any stretch of the imagination. He can play some ball. So I love in this highlight film that he he'll, he'll actually highlight and circle like someone that he hurts yeah. after the play. And it's not him being dirty; it's him being violent. It'd be just hitting people hard. FSU likes the three linebackers they got in the early period. Mm-hmm. That was Kalen Deloach, uh, Kevon Glenn, and um, Jaleel McCray. Mm-hmm. All three guys that they really liked that they targeted. They're satisfied with what they got at that position, but they want another guy with size and ability who can help them be even better there. Mm-hmm. Shimon Cooper and uh, Eugene Asante are those two guys. And they, they very much have narrowed their focus to that going into January. And I think if they, they don't hit either of those guys, they'd be comfortable moving like a, like you know, Raymond Woody III down. Yeah, I, mean, I think like you could see a guy flexed, yeah. Um, with because Cooper, they're so deep at DB in this class. Cooper's due in the 25th. He's been steadfast with that even when he was getting ready to commit to the Illini at the Under Armour game. And Asante, from what I understand, is expected on the 25th, but he has yet to confirm that date. And we spoke to him last evening. All right. So real quick, we're gonna we're recording this in the morning. There's going to be a schedule uh, dropped. What at 2 p.m. Yep. later today? The, a- the ACC is waiting until 2 p.m. today. Meanwhile, the SEC probably has a schedule out for 2022. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go over the schedule real quick. Uh, games that you're you know let's just go a place that you're interested in visiting this year because it's not a great road schedule. But let's see. I haven't been to Virginia. That's one. Here comes Virginia. That's for Jeff Cameron. Okay. I don't. Um, know. I, I him don't know. and Tom enjoy that. Then when they come out, they have the whole "Here comes Virginia." It's pretty awesome. Okay. Virginia's fun. Getting there is kind of a pain in the ass. Um, but it's it's a good time. I enjoy Charlottesville. Um, I know obviously it hasn't had the best headlines in recent years, but Move it from a football it perspective, it's a nice place to visit and got some good restaurants and stuff like that. Um, and FSC just hasn't been in been up there in so long. Obviously, Clemson's great game day atmosphere. Town itself doesn't have a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Barbecue on the way in is pretty good, though. Stay in Atlanta, eat barbecue on the way in, go to game. That's, that's how you do that's, that's the way to do it. And get to the barbecue. Or go to Greenville. What's, from the, name of the, what's the name of the barbecue place? Smoking Pig, isn't it? Smoking Pig. That's yeah. it. I was smoking trying to say pig. Smoking Bones. I yeah, that nah, Smoking Pig. Dude, that's awesome. And make sure you get there. I think it opens at 11. Get there at 11. Yeah, being yeah. A, being a barbecue for Be breakfast prepared. kind of mood. Yeah. Uh, and wait. Uh, at Boston College, you know, it's Boston, so you can always get some good food there. Yeah. Do we think that's going to be a Friday? <sighs> it always feels like it's. Like it is. Feels like it's becoming a new tradition with yeah. the ACC. At Wake Forest. <laughs> and then at Florida. <laughs> yeah. And the, so, home, the home schedule is not much better because you sold the game here with Boise to Jacksonville. So yeah. home away from home. Which is not smart um, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I don't it's the Randy Spetman Memorial Classic. <laughs> Let's just call it what it is. That was Randy's outgoing. You know who hated the idea of Boise was Jimbo. Oh, Jimbo, Jimbo was Jim, so pissed off. I'm never going to Boise. This football team is never going to Boise. <laughs> Every time that came up off the record, we're not ever playing in Boise. He's right. He doesn't have to go to Boise. Yeah, he doesn't have to go to Boise. You're right. Uh, Lu- to the humanitarian ball. Louisiana Monroe. Louisville here, who's probably going to be quite awful next year. Yeah. Miami, Miami here, which is always, yeah, it's a rivalry game. You just good old-fashioned hate type of deal. NC State breaking in a... Yeah, Bailey Hoffman could potentially be quarterback. starting quarterback Woo! in Duke Campbell. 
Um, and then Syracuse, it's a revenge game for Florida State. And then, oh, Alabama State would be it's, the first meeting between them. Oh, um, yeah. Joy. Alabama State. Hopefully that's a running clock. I mean, it's not a really exciting schedule, but yeah, for a good program... Yeah, tickets for that. Yeah, but for a program <laughs> that needs to get some wins and start convincing recruits that it's going in the right direction and get yeah. the fan base believing again, there's the ability for eight wins or so on that yeah. on that schedule. Now, it will be interesting to see... What's their three toughest schedule, games on that schedule? At Clemson... Clemson. I'm looking over now. At Florida. Oof. And Boise State or Miami. Boise, Boise State, State has a new quarterback, right. a new running back. They're breaking in. Uh, I guess Miami? I don't know. It's not a great schedule. So At you, Boston College? You know, nah. Depending on what... Do you, Remember the last time what happened when they went up to Boston? I know. Okay. And Dylan will probably be healthy yeah. again, so it'll be a better team than they were when FSU faced them this year. But what I'm mainly getting at is I don't know if a deadly stretch can exist this year. Like, I don't know if there can be a three successive weeks. Like, we knew this year from the get-go that that stretch of uh, Notre Dame, NC State, Clemson in secession, that that was going to be murderer's row for FSU. Mm-hmm. That, you know... Would a team rebuilding one win in that stretch would be nice. Two would be almost unexpected, and three is far fetched. And know that's going we, into the year when yeah, we, we think FSU is good. We didn't know it'd be quite that. Uh, that yeah, we, we didn't think it would be basically two hundred and fifty points allowed. <laughs> um, so I don't feel like there's a stretch of potential for them this yeah. year like that. No, I, which I is good news because that shattered FSU's confidence. Not that they had a whole lot going into it, but. They were done after that stretch. Yeah. The fact they beat BC is still surprising to me because I thought they may just lose all the way out after watching those two yeah, they games. Should, they should have beat BC by a couple scores, too. Like they, BC uh, also should have gone for it on fourth down. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Steve. Yep. Thanks, Steve. Louisville messed one up, too, in yeah. the game. But, you know, hey, take take them take when you can get them. Miami got lucky as hell. Yeah, that trades off. I am bitter. I'm just telling the truth. <laughs> Oh, it's not an amazing schedule. It's not sexy by any means, but it is. There's winnable games all over there. And I, it doesn't just win, baby. FSU doesn't need to play a great schedule right now. They're not built to handle those type of schedules. I mean, what twenty twenty they play West Virginia to open the year, right? And is they play at Boise in twenty twenty. Yeah, so you got a couple there already that are going to challenge you. Um, obviously, Clemson's not falling off anytime soon. They're coming here. You go to Miami. Florida comes here. 2020. Yeah, I'm pulling it up. So, you know, that schedule will be a little more appealing from both a ticket purchasing perspective and a general game perspective. But FSU doesn't need a – I think the schedule they have is the schedule they need. Yeah, 2020, you also have to go to Louisville at Miami at NC State at Syracuse. So, uh, it's going to be a tougher schedule. Um, which would probably it probably be a pretty pivotal year for uh, for a Willie. What's going to be the most non FSU interesting thing to you on FSU schedule this year? For me, it's going to be Syracuse life after Dungy. Tommy DeVito is probably their quarterback. Uh, let's see. He's not anything like Dungy. And truthfully, I think the one yeah, uh, Dino's done a good job of a really good job of getting that program. Fitting in what he wants to do, and let's see how sustainable it is. Yeah. But uh, but I'm looking at Florida, and I'm looking at Florida because I think we all had a good laugh at Dan Mullen on the recruiting trail early on in his tenure here. Um, and this wasn't a dominant team, but they managed to win double-digit games. And historically speaking, 
when there's a vacuum in the state, when other teams aren't good, someone else is able to this is how Florida State became a won a national championship in 2013 was largely because other programs were down. And it's usually because two of the teams yes. are good and one is down. And currently, the truth is that both FSU and Miami are down. So that allows you to start stockpiling recruits and wins, and it becomes a cycle, and you can start building something there. Like Florida wasn't great this season, but they managed to win enough games to where it's helping them on the recruiting trail. A large first half of their season was a whole hell of a lot of smoke and mirrors yeah, to win it games. Was. It absolutely Pop was. a couple big plays here and there, but they weren't real good for two or three quarters in a row. Yep. That was few and far between with them. But now you have something to sell that other in-state programs don't, and that's a, a direction and stability. And you're also going in the offseason with a win, feeling real good about yourself. Uh-huh. There's positive momentum. So, yeah, so if Florida continues that and can build on that next year, and I'm not sure what their schedule I don't looks like, like. I don't like the way you're talking right Sorry. now. Sorry, and people probably hate me more than already anyways. I'm Should gonna, we just end the podcast? I'm going to rate this podcast a three-star because of you. Just wanting to know that. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. Five-star reviews or three-star reviews if you hate me, but you also love Chris. Make so sure the three-star star review says <laughs> no for Sinone. <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs>